and welcome back to the What the Fork Sunderland Preview Podcast. It has not been the best week for Sunderland so far, as arguably our worst performance of the season saw us lose on the road for the first time since October at Rotherham on Tuesday night. And things don't get much easier as we travel to the Midlands this weekend for an early kickoff against Coventry City. But as always, we are here to preview this weekend's big match, and I am joined by a debutant on the show in the shape of Joey from the Nil Lamptey Podcast. Uh, Joey, how are you? Are you all right, mate? Yeah, very well. All the better after seeing your result yesterday. Now, before we begin on the football side of things, if there isn't any football manager fans inside of this sort of listener base that we have, can you explain the podcast name? I understand it, but obviously for the listeners, I think it's quite a decent little story. Um, the So, yeah, Neil Empty was um, a player dubbed by Pelé himself as the next Pelé, although I think Pelé bestowed that honour upon about 500 players over the last sort of 30 or 40 years before his death. Um, and he didn't turn out to be Pele. So what happened was the day that we were starting to record our f- first podcast about 10 years ago, we realised we hadn't got a name. And as a joke, someone suggested that we would call it that. And in lieu of wanting to decide on anything else, we just went ahead and did it. So there's, there's no particular reason that it's that other than the fact that somebody suggested it and everybody hates it. We wish we hadn't have called it that, but we did. And it's, you know, it's too long now. It's too late to do yeah, it's too late to do it. I wanted to change mine as well, actually, come to think of it. And everyone said, no, it's too late, you've done it. And I was like, all oh, right, okay. It does happen. But yes, he played about six games for Coventry, is that right? Yeah, he did, yeah. He signed from Aston Villa. I mean, his career trajectory, you know, kind of is just down and down and down. And his story is actually quite sad, I believe. Um, but the, yeah, it's just a... I think if you want to retrofit some meaning towards it, it's someone you know who demonstrated great potential in the early days that ultimately just dropped further and further down as time went on, which could be applied to us as well, I suppose. And he was absolutely class on Football Manager, um, hence the Football he Manager from previously. He was outstanding on Football Manager, absolutely, yeah, 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 but unfortunately, real life, as often is the case with Football Manager, I'm looking at you, um, Sonny Pike, is you know not accurately represented in real life, is it? such as football managers can be sometimes. But I think, obviously, on the footy itself, uh, we'll come in straight from the top. Weirdly enough, we lost 2-1 to Rotherham last night in, in our last game. You beat Rotherham uh, 2-0 in yours. How was the performance? Well, it was an awful game. It was a really, really poor game. And two teams who didn't really have a great deal to offer. But we got promoted. This is the third season for us in the Championship. And in our first season we found that we lost a lot of games that were very similar to the one that we won on Saturday, which is to say that we just got beaten by a team who didn't play particularly well, but just had elements of class that just allowed them to to do enough to get the victory. And that was what we did, really. We had Victor Chocres, who I think most people know about by now, uh, and Gus Hamer, who had a fantastic game as well. But apart from that, we didn't really offer a great deal, but Rotherham didn't have those players. We also got very, very lucky with an early decision, with a goal that was ruled out for Rotherham, completely inexplicably. Um, but yeah, like I say, it was, I, I really thought that you would go and do a number on them yesterday. And all jokes aside, yeah, unfortunate for you guys, that very, very odd that that didn't happen. It's interesting you mentioned that the goal that was disallowed for them because we scored in, I think, the 95th minute last night and there's a lot of debate around it saying that there was no foul on the goalkeeper. I think we all know goalkeepers are well protected, but without knowing actually that they had a goal disallowed on Saturday, that is quite an interesting... Has that been levelled up sort of thing by the referees? You never know. Is there a conspiracy? You know what football fans can be like. uh, Oh, yeah. And it was that. It was for... It was a corner 
a goal had a goal was scored at the back post for a corner and it was ruled out for an infraction on our goalkeeper that nobody could see no matter how many times you um you, you watched it back and back and back that's bizarre um oh god I'm, I'm even more annoyed about last night's result now but there we go <laughs> um but i think all in all coventry is as a lot of people said at the start of the season look a decent side and you know over the the past five games you've won i think three of your last five league three of your last five league games sorry so so how is the mood around coventry and the fans at the moment because it hasn't been the most straightforward season which i'm sure we'll dig further into no it's been a very very unusual season um mood amongst Coventry fans is actually quite neutral at the minute which is odd considering what a roller coaster season it's been. But we got taken over in November or so. Then the big question was, would we lose all of our best players in January, which we didn't. But we also didn't have a big influx of players. We signed one sort of semi-permanent player. We gave Sean Maguire a six-month contract until the end of, uh, of, the, of this summer. He's yet to start. And so... We're in, a, we're in a sort of stasis. I believe that we're going to get some investment in the summer. And I think some of that will come down to the money that we receive for a Hamer or a Jacarez. Um And we and we just don't... We I, I think we're not going to get relegated this season. And I think we're almost certainly not going to get promoted this season. And so I think a lot of Coventry fans are waiting to see what the summer brings. It's funny you mentioned about the, the promotion and not getting relegated. I think... Sunderland fans feel like, thankfully, we're not going to be in a relegation battle. Famous last words, but it doesn't feel like that. But it also feels like a slight sort of missed opportunity with the fact that the, the league and the playoffs are there to be sort of hit at if we if we don't reach it. But yeah, yeah. obviously, the last time we, we played each other was the very first game of the season. So when I last had a Coventry fan on this show, it was a case of not knowing what the hell was going to come, what the hell was to be expected. Um, and we checked about expectations and stuff like that. Now, as you said before, Coventry have been in the league for for three seasons now, so probably sort of, well, two years more than us, and, and you've had flirtations with the playoffs similar to what we're having this season, or there or thereabouts. And I think at present, you're about 11th, 10th in the table, five points or so off the playoffs. And when I spoke to the, the Coventry fan, I know obviously it's a different person for people who are wondering, but um, his expectation was that you could make a real push for the playoffs. Obviously, we spoke about uh, Jokeres, we spoke about, the, spoke about the players that you have in the team. At the time of speaking, that's not really happened, but you're not a million miles away. So has it been an underwhelming season or is it kind of more of an expected season that you kind of uh, around the playoff spot, shall we say? The, pr- the problem that we had was that we went into the season three games behind everybody else because um, our thankfully former landlords, Wasps, um, allowed the was it the Commonwealth Games, Rugby Sevens, over the summer and turned our pitch into a sandpit and then made us pay for to relay an entirely new pitch on it. So we had to play a game at Burton earlier in the season in the cup while we were working out what to do. And as a result of that, we had, you know what it's like at the start of the season, you have pre-season and then every team is sort of finding their legs. We were three or four games behind everyone else. And so we were atrocious to start the season. We were bottom for a wee while, I think. Um, and the sort of first quarter of the season was an absolute disaster. And I think as much as people might have wanted the playoffs, one, I think that's unrealistic with the budget that we've got. I know that football fans just think that that's what you're going to do no matter what. Um, but the yeah, with the start that we had, with the way that we were put on the back foot, it was just never likely to happen. Then all of a sudden we exploded 
we had the sort of second quarter of the season just before the World Cup. I don't know really what happened, but it all just came to life and we started beating everybody. And we went, we sort of had what I guess would be in more recent terms, a Middlesbrough-esque rise up the table. But it didn't seem to be precipitated by anything. Nothing particular happened, apart from possibly that we just sort of got up to speed with the rest of the league. And then we've had a lot of injuries since then. The World Cup came at the wrong time. We lost all of our momentum, lost our main centre-back. And yeah, we've just been sort of a bit up and down since then. But I think if you can take your sort of mad football fan head off you'd have to be fairly happy as a Coventry fan I think we've got the third lowest budget in the division we've been in league two about three or four years ago so to be in 11th in the championship with a squad that's had almost no investment in it whatsoever is you know you've got to be fairly happy with that it's interesting you mentioned about the the pitch and stuff oddly enough I haven't been to Coventry for about Jesus it was the first game of the season we got beat 2-1 Gary McSheffrey scored so it was a while ago um, but then I went on, uh, I went to the stadium on Sunday. I was in Coventry on Sunday for the Lionesses game and the pitch was oh, yeah. fine. Like, um, But obviously, I think it wasn't unbeknown to people what was happening in Coventry with the stadium. And I remember I remember thinking, you know, you were one of the better sides in the league because of the, the way you played against this first game of the season. You could see the qualities you had. And then I remember looking at the table going, oh, bloody hell, the bottom. And then I was like, oh, hang on a minute. They've only played X, Y, Z games. Yeah. And, and that's why. And, and I think... I don't know. I don't know how really how to word this question, but straightforward question, I guess. In many ways, how frustrating was that period, and did it? Did, how much of an effect do you think that had on the performances? The fact that you were playing, it was about one game every two weeks or something, wasn't it at that point? Yeah, it was. It was, it was catastrophic, and you know, it's too long and boring to get into all the details of it. But Wasp should have never been allowed to have been the owners of that stadium. It should just never have happened. And I am, I think the sort of the sort of correct thing to say is that you feel for their fans and you feel for their staff and whatever. But I just don't. I just, I just think they're just a soulless enterprise of, a, of an organisation. And I'm absolutely delighted that they've had the financial troubles that they've had because they're now out of our hair and they cause us nothing but problems the entire time that we were there. We had to move again, and they've just been a poison on the city. They've affected Coventry Rugby Club. They just had no right being there. They had no right being in that stadium. But they're gone now, which is good. Uh, and we're out of the frying pan and into the fire because Mike Ashley owns it now. But the, at the very least, is it's not sharing it with a rugby club that tears up the pitch and, you know, has very obvious antipathy towards the club. So, yeah, it was incredibly frustrating because it was a problem made of, you know, no, not of our own doing. It cost us a huge amount of money to fix, which then affected our transfer business in the summer. And it just felt like in, you know, sort of 15 year period of everything going against us. It did feel like going into this season, that it was going to be one of the starts of a season that was going to be a bit more normal than any other. And actually, it's just been as mental as all the rest of the seasons have been. I was going to say, because it, it does feel like over the past decade or however, when you think of Coventry, you think more of the things that have happened off the field as opposed to on, and yet on the oh, field yeah, we've yeah. had promotions <laughs> and stuff like that, which is, but I mean, <laughs> yeah. obviously points when you're playing at Northampton and stuff and, and all sorts of stuff that I'm thinking of that I can remember. Obviously, it's, it's probably too soon to maybe ask this question, but I'll ask it anyway. Does it finally feel like with like the ownership situation and stuff like that, you can actually maybe just like play football and enjoy football no. and watch football? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> because we're only, we've only got a deal to stay at the stadium until the end of the summer. 
And Mike Ashley is a notoriously furious negotiator. So there's absolutely no reason to think that we'll be still in Coventry come the start of next season. Or if we are, then that we're not paying like an exorbitant rent, which was the whole reason that we had all this trouble in the first place. Um, and yeah, and I think we'll lose all of our best players in the summer. I mean, I am. A, you can tell very clearly that I'm a, a pessimist at heart, but the, <laughs> I think there's also, a, it's, you know, to a certain extent, you know, you have to learn from experience. And we thought that when the hedge fund that came and bought us out at the 11th hour has stopped us from going into administration, that on the face of it, that was a good thing. So we've learned that just because someone's come and bought your club doesn't mean that they're actually going to be a good owner. There's nothing to suggest that the fellow that's, that's bought us is a bad guy. He's got no, he's actually got a sort of curiously, blank record in terms of looking him up on the internet he's not ruffled any feathers he's not done anything particularly evil as far as i can tell but that means that we just we, you know we, we don't know yeah and at least he's not called charlie Mayfair. that's one plus i can give you well yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. sorry charlton fans i guess um i think one similarity that we we both really share in, in my opinion and, and when we have this conversation with with ourselves as fans and we talk about best strikers in the league and, and strikers that can move sort of higher up the chain. Obviously, Ross Stewart's always in that conversation for ourselves. He's obviously injured. He's out for the season, but but yours isn't. Um, Victor Jokeres, who was actually linked to us seasons ago when we were in League One and hadn't heard much of him. I, I think, in my opinion, we, we discussed it last night by message and obviously privately, but I think if anyone's better than Ross Stewart, it's probably him. Um, he's been with you since January 2021 when he first joined on loan. He scored almost 40 goals for the club in the league. He looks, I mean, I think every Southern fan will agree with this. When we seen him, he looked like that player that we went, all right, that's the step up. And I haven't seen much as good as him since. But from a company perspective, you watch him every week. How, how good is he? Uh, it's not um, an overstatement to say that I am in love with him. In love, in love with him. I, we, I've never seen... Obviously, he's not as good as the very, very top tier players, but it's rare that I've seen a more complete striker because we we are we are our entire entire attacking tactic is give him the ball and you can give him the ball anywhere and he will do something with it. He scored a goal against Wigan earlier in the season where they took a corner, we cleared it out. He had two men on him on his in his own half. He headed the ball up into the air while he pushed one of them away. His control brought it down and beat the other player. Then he ran 60 yards and put it past the keeper. And you just think there can't be many players who would have the presence of mind, the strength, the speed, the stamina in the 90th minute, all of those things put together in, in one player. It's ludicrous what you can get him to do in terms of being able to create goals out of nothing but on top of that, he, ball, he holds the ball up exceptionally well. He works incredibly hard. He's unbelievably strong. He's very fast. The only flaw in his game, curiously, for a player that scored as many goals as he has, is he just misses a, he misses the easy chances. So I said to you last night on message, for such, an, for such a prolific goal scorer, I never want to see him take a penalty ever again because he's just, you know, just that some players just have a flaw. And it's almost like the easier it is, the harder it is for him, which is very, very strange. But if someone could fix that in him, there's almost no limit to how far up he could go. And I think 
as much as I would be desperate to keep him, and I think we're in big trouble when he goes, I think for the sake of his career, he's 24 going on 25. He has to now, if he's got aspirations to play for, I think the level that he could go to possibly by the end of his career would be someone like Tottenham, but he's not going to go to Tottenham now. So if he wants to get that far, he probably needs to get a move to the Prem, the sort of lower end this summer, and then you know do well there and, and kick on from there. But the sky is the limit for him. He's, you know, he's exceptional. Matt Robbins, our manager, talks constantly about this. He's got an incredible attitude and incredible um, mentality. He trains really well. He's almost flawless, like I say, except for the problem of not being out scoring <laughs> easy chances, which I guess is a problem for a striker. But the, we, we, like I say, our only tactic is just give the ball to Vic and you can give it to him anywhere and he will be able to do pretty much anything that you need to with it. It felt like that opening day of the season. It felt like we were defending well, but if he got a chance, so if he fancied it, he and he and he did. That's kind of what he did. And I think, to be honest, he's he, like I say, I, I'm being honest here when I say I think he's probably the best striker we've come up against this season, despite the fact we came up against him this earlier this season. But a lot of the things you said about the being in love with him, he's sky's the limit. We feel like exactly the same with with Ross Stewart. Unfortunately, sadly, like I say, he's he's injured. Um, yeah, he's. he's He's got everything to it, but obviously Jokerez is, is slightly younger. But we've, a, a lot of the time, we've discussed what we think Ross Stewart's worth. Now, he's only got maximum another year left after this. Obviously, he's got that injury, so that might that might complicate things. And I think a lot of the time, we discuss between 15 to 20 million minimum um, for what we'd expect from him. Now, Jokerez is younger. I think his contract's longer. Um, no, he's been, it's not. We've it got not? the same We've got the same problem. He's out. He's got his oh. summer 2024. So, yeah, we've, we've got one eye on that. But I think in terms of his value, I would be terribly disappointed to get anything less than 15. I would be looking at more like 20, even with a year left on his contract. I was thinking that. I was going to say, my, my question was going to be how much the Coventry fans want for him realistically. I know we're all very biased and we it's not our money and, and yada, yada, but we all have a valuation where we go, okay, that would soften the blow a little bit. Would you say around 20 for Jokeres with the contract situation then? Yeah, absolutely. I think if he's got, I think if he's got two or three years left on his contract, I'd want twenty five, thirty. And as you can probably tell from this, I hopefully am looking at this as fairly realistic. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not, I'm not overstating the, the case there. That he could really, there's nothing to stop him, especially if you could go somewhere elite with a coach that could fix his his sort of short finishing. He could do anything that he wants. He could be a very, he could be an absolute top level player ultimately. Um, and so I think, yeah, if he got a longer contract, I'd be looking more at 25, 30. If you look at some of the players that go for in the championship now, you just think are, are not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I just think, I think, but if, yeah, with a year left on his contract, I think 15 to 20 million. What's been funny is it's been Robbins saying that he wants him to stay and spearhead a promotion push next season. You just think, under what? Under what circumstances is he going to stay? The club won't turn down a bid that will come in for that sort of size. He'll be able to presumably quadruple his wages. Like it's, it's lovely wishful thinking from a manager to think he might stay, but I would be gobsmacked if he's not gone by the summer. I was going to say, because my next question was going to be, can you convince him to stay? But I'll be honest, even now we're scrambling for reasons why. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not like as well that he'd love, he loves living in the area. Do you know what I mean? It's not. Yeah. It's not it's, there's nothing to do. So yeah, there's no like redeeming features in Cobb, and I bet he's underpaid for the championship because 
we got him as a misfit. Yeah. He came, he went on loan to Swansea for half a season and they thought he was rubbish. And then he came to us for the second half of that season. The Swansea fans were all laughing at us for having um for having took him. And actually he wasn't he wasn't very good at the second half of that season. And when we signed him for a million quid, everyone thought, what have we done? And then of course he's turned out to be an absolute genius. Now we obviously we, we had a chat last night, a good chin wag during a sort of message and I completely forgot that our current manager is one of your previous managers and and to put it politely Joey you didn't seem to be much of a fan of him so I'm (laughs) going to ask a straightforward question worryingly what are your memories right so let me I'll try and keep this as brief as possible the 2015-16 season at the end of this I'm going to send you a picture of uh we of the first of the first 11 that played against Berry in late January, early February 2016. And this was the, the sort of Mowbray's big season that he was there. That picture was James Madison, Joe Cole, Jacob Murphy, John Fleck, Jack Stevens, the centre-back at Southampton, um, Sam Ricketts, Adam Armstrong. Uh, we, earlier in that season, we'd had Ryan Kent, the central midfielder called Rowan Vince Lowe that you might not have heard of that was absolutely outstanding that season. Basically, that team should have finished top of the league, <laughs> especially in, especially in retrospect. That team should have, every time it comes up now, it just burns me because the, the, the players that we had were absolutely exceptional. That team finished eighth that season. It didn't even finish in the playoffs. And we were top in November. And in November, you just thought we were going to walk the league. The way that we were playing and the way that he'd got us going, the players that he'd signed, because you can see it with Hughes now, can't you? He's got Diallo and has he got one or two? Oh, oh Galhart, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's got this great book of contacts of people that trust him to take talented young players on loan. The problem with him is, I find, is then later in the season... He gets nervous. And what he did with us is he signed Stephen Hunt, who I think was 34, 35. He'd got Mark Antoine Fortune, who again was about the same age. He started putting Adam Armstrong, who'd got maybe 15 goals before Christmas. He started putting him on the right wing so that he could play Fortune up front. And he just lost his mind. We just had this, the whole sort of the whole joy of that early part of, and the success of that early part of the season was built on um this vibrant, young, attacking, pacey team that was just going out and ripping people to shreds. And then he just dismantled it and put a load of <laughs> old players in. And you, there might be a story behind it, but I just think it's I just think it's absolutely unforgivable that he finished eighth that season with the squad that he'd got. Then the second part of it is that in the summer, he decided to try and embark on some sort of big rebuild. So the centre midfielder that I mentioned before, who was absolutely outstanding, he let go for absolutely nothing. And he signed a centre-back in Jordan Turnbull that was fancied, but then did nothing for us and, and has not gone on to have. He's had a, a respectable career, but certainly not below championship level. And then he had this big list of targets that were never going to come to us. So we ended up in the summer not really signing anybody. And then I think we lost our first eight games. I remember I went to Port Vale away. That was the first one that we won after he'd gone. And he walked and he, he resigned in the middle of this terrible spell saying, my hands are tied, I can't do anything about this. So he put us in a situation where he'd left us bottom of the league. We got relegated that season. We had four managers in the end that season. He put us in a situation where we were in bottom of the league. And then he just walked and and said, oh, I can't do this anyway. 
And I, yeah, I, I can't stand with him. I absolutely can't stand him. And then I've, you know, I've kept in a, a watch over his career since, and it's always the same wherever he is. Playoffs by by Christmas, big drop in standard and quality um, after Christmas. And it's strange actually that you guys are as high up the league as you are because it's usually started happening by now. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned about Mowbray because we had a Blackburn fan on who really had almost an identical story. But I think there'll be Sunderland fans listening to what you were saying about them signing the older players and stuff. Now, obviously, Sunderland's model, we say this every episode now, we're just kind of getting on my nerves a bit, but the model is to sign players under the age of 24 and we don't send anyone else. Um, or, or we certainly don't pay a fee for them. I don't think we send yeah. a player over the age of 24 for like a season or something like that. And yet, Right. Sort of the, the spine, like Danny Barr, normally Corey Evans, obviously, who's out for the season now, and Ross Stewart are like over 24, and, and some of the, those players are in their 30s. But there's a few fans that, you know, me included, that would like a few more experienced heads that are in there. But it seems that the club are just not going to move on that. And that's more to do with the head of recruitment. Based on your experience of Mowbray at Coventry, is that going to benefit something? Do you think the fact that he won't be allowed to sign players over 24? So it seems. The. So you, to give him some credit for his time at Coventry, he had financial restrictions. So we hadn't got, we've never had a lot of money. And so to some extent, the reinforcements that he brought in, Stephen Hunt hadn't got a club. And so I think some of it was about, you know, wanting to bring in experience and some of it was wanting to bring in reinforcements that he could afford. So it may well be that if you're a bit better off than us, he might not be looking in bargain bins and therefore finding people who are probably at the, the very tail end of their, their careers. But I think... What I can't quite pinpoint what it would be at other clubs. That was why we fell off. But I don't know why he's done the same at Middlesbrough, the same at Blackburn, the same at Hibs. Um, I don't. I don't know what the specific reasons are. But I would say, yeah, if you could keep him away from old stages. I think the other thing is possibly as well is so. He's, I think he's got a bit of a thing for players that he knows, if that makes sense. So he really liked Fortune because he'd been very good for him at West Brom. But then he hadn't taken into account the fact that that was maybe six or seven years ago. And he was a very, very different player by the time that we'd got him. I think he went to Celtic as well. I could be wrong with that, but I'm pretty sure. He yeah, and he wasn't, and he, he wasn't good at Celtic. He wasn't. <laughs> no. That's a, team, that, that's, a team that I, that's a team that I follow. And Mowbray and Fortune didn't have great uh, time at Celtic. <laughs> no. Living in Glasgow when we appointed him, I had a few Celtic fans that were... Not very hopeful. I'm thankful that's so far been proven wrong, but there's there's a while to go yet. So far happy, but what's that seeing me? Um, yeah, and look, look if, we're, if I'm going to try and suspend my prejudice for a moment, he, <laughs> you, there's a lot of managers don't have good half seasons. A lot of managers just are bad all the time. And he did exceptionally, if you speak to West Brom fans, West Brom fans idolise him. He finished bottom of the Premier League, but they were still clapping him off as they were... As they were going, he'd put that incredible team together that was, was it Zoltan Gera and Bednar and mm. I think I might be mixing up players here, but there was but the, the team that where absolutely smashed up the championship apparently were a joy to watch and and you know took everyone apart. So he's clearly got tons of, of positive attributes as a manager. Um, but I don't like him because he's a spineless coward. <laughs> we just like a lot of people really like Phil Parkinson, like Bolton fans and that. We despise him, so I guess sometimes we just don't fit. But um, yeah, that that that's football, isn't it? I guess. But on the flip side, you know, Mark Robbins is obviously he was linked to Sunderland um, at one point. I think around that sort of Parkinson era, and he's he's one of the longest serving managers in the league, which to be honest doesn't take much these days. But he has been there a while. Um, 
straightforward question. How good of a job has he done? Yeah, you literally can't. He's, you know, it's stunning. So he was, the season that we went down to League Two, that was Mowbray in charge at the start of the season. Then his assistant, Mark Venus, took over. Then we had the joy of Russell Slade for two or three months. And then Mark Robbins came back to us, having been manager with us for about nine months or so, um, a few years before. And he picked the club up on its way down to League Two, having just had a spell in Northampton. He got us promoted from League One to the Championship while we were playing in Birmingham with no fans about. Although saying that with Cough fans, that might have been a big big help. Um, the He's never had a penny to spend. In the Championship, he spent two million quid, I think, in three years. He... It, he... he He's got unbelievable restrictions and he's done an absolutely astonishing job. The funny thing with Robbins is that he's not really done a good job anywhere else. He he left us originally to go to Huddersfield and that didn't go terribly well for him. He had a spell at Rotherham that was sort of okay-ish. I think he was at Barnsley for a bit. And if you look through the rest of his career, there's nothing terribly noteworthy that he's done. But the, he's a, a genuine miracle worker for us. We, I don't think anybody, I think when and if he goes, I think you're genuinely talking about statue level of, um, of of manager because we would we would we were gone we should have been sat in league two for for a while because we were just you know that that momentum when you're so knackered as a club like that makes such a big difference and you can just get mired down you should never have been in league one should you should just never have happened but that look did you stick in league one for a couple of years four years four years it's, it's unthinkable isn't it but the, you know when when it's going badly it it takes a while to turn around, but he just we we've landed in League Two. Thank God he took us straight back up, and then we've been on and up since then. But we've got no reason to be. We've got all we've had is trouble and turbulence and no money. So it, it's unbelievable. But I think if you're another club looking at him as an option, and I think if you're him looking at another club as an option, I wonder how attractive either seems because. It's a little bit like Nathan Jones at Luton. Maybe that's just maybe they're just meant to be. Yeah, I, I think we're touching it before. Some managers just work, and I think Robbins is definitely that. He's completely unremarkable before Coventry, but you can't look at his job and without saying, "Well, bloody hell!" Like because we've already discussed the amount of issues Coventry have and still have, and yet we asked about expectations and the word the words playoffs were used, which kind of shows you the job he's done in a really yeah. short sort of punchy sentence. I think doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, again, this you know, people are saying that they wanted us to go for the playoffs this season, but we, I don't. I'm, I'm trying to wrap my brains and think of whether we signed a player permanently. But I'm not sure we signed a player permanently in the summer. We've got a couple of sort of half decent loans, and you just think it's not. <laughs> it's a bit. I think if you're Robbins, you probably sat there looking at Cov fans being like, "Yeah, we should go for the playoffs this season," and you'd just be like, "Do you want to calm down?" Because <laughs> yeah. I'm not getting sacked because of not meeting expectations, but I've not been given any money. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Though, no <laughs> yeah. Absolutely so, true. so he's, yeah, he's doing mir- miracle work. Like I say, if they decide, if they want to rip round for a brass statue outside uh, whatever stadium we happen to be playing at when we decide to build it, is, yeah, I'll, I'll chip in for that. As long as we don't shout at that one. Um <laughs> In in joke, I don't know if anyone will get that, but quite good. Um, 
in terms of, I did find it quite funny that the match that I went to, the Lionesses game, by the way, going back to it, kicked off at quarter past three. I thought the irony of that was quite funny, by the way. But that's yeah, that, I mean that's very that's that's very uh, delicious. Yeah, yeah, I was like, how, oh, hmm. <laughs> how keenly, right? Because it's very very difficult because I don't talk to some Luton fans all the time. How mm-hmm. keenly do you think that rivalry is felt anywhere other than on the internet, which is obviously not a real place? Yeah, it's funny because my next question was going to be how, how are Coventry fans viewing it? I think it's funny because I was obviously not alive for the the the, the first situation. Or I certainly don't remember it. Um, whereas 1997 was like my peak following Sunderland era. And I remember being 11, 10 or 11, and being particularly peeved that it, it seemed that you did, in my eyes yeah. at the time, cheered. Um, Jimmy Hill is, um, yeah, he's not well-liked. Um, but I think I think it accentuated. I think my, my honest opinion is, obviously, when we were both in the Premier League, there was a little bit of needle, not massive. Um, but then I feel like when we got into League One and we were both kind of going for promotion, and I think especially because League One was so shit for all of us, there was nothing else to do, yeah. that it became a bit accentuated. Yeah, and then... Yeah. And then you beat us 5-4. And then the internet, Twitter seemed to think we were mortal enemies. So for me, I mean, I like beating Coventry, but I like beating Leicester and I like beating yeah, yeah, yeah. whoever. I, think but, I mean, I view it as a bit of fun. I, I think yeah. it's a bit, do you know what I mean? It's, as I quite like the kind of the sort of um, sort of accentuated level of, of, of rivalry. I don't genuinely hate Sunderland. But that when we're playing you, it is always a little bit of extra sort of excitement for me to think of of, of beating you. Um, I, but I but I just think it's. But some people seem to like a very few people seem to take it really seriously, which I just think is very silly, isn't it? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm not going to lie and say I didn't cringe at the statue situation, hence the joke. But um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> y- you like beating everyone, um, yeah. and I suppose it's a little bit nicer because of the history. But I mean. The things that have happened since then in my life, I've, if you beat us on Saturday, I'll be sad for a couple of days, but not in the same way that would be if those who shall not be named ever beat us, which hasn't happened in a while either, to be fair. But um, Well, no. But I think with users, it's punching upwards a little bit because I just think you've got... I think, and you know, your, your fans won't thank me for this, but I loved Sunderland till I die because, like, it's it's a calamity, isn't it? But that you... the It wouldn't be funny... If you were at a club, I think you're probably a club the size above us, like you sort of one up on us. And so, like, if it was, if that documentary had have been like Port Vale till I die, it wouldn't <laughs> have been funny because you sort of think, well, that's just it's a smaller club that are struggling, whatever. But there is like a sort of, you know, what's the word? Is it pathos of, you know, what is it, 50,000? Like, absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fans who have done nothing wrong, just constantly being put through the ringer by a succession of absolutely hopeless idiots, is funny. Do you know what I mean? It's not obviously you don't think it's funny, but it's but it's funny. But it's because you're a higher status than we are. It's funny you, you talked about the, the we're talking about the games and how it affects you and stuff like that. Now I was three injury time minutes away from having my fourth correct prediction of the year, which would be a record for me. But sadly, Bristol City. Equalised due to a penalty that was probably, in hindsight, deserved. Um, I'm not confident going in on Saturday. I cannot quite remember, and I'm sure someone will pipe up and tell me that it wasn't that long ago, the last time we beat Coventry at Coventry. Um, 
I think last time we were there, we got beat 1-0 and then the pandemic happened and then that was a bit weird for a while. You got promoted that season by virtue of the, the PPG because you yeah, were yeah, yeah. at the top. Um, and then I think there was obviously the 5-4 game that was at the stadium. Before that, I think it was 1-1 when Catamol scored. And then we haven't played each other in a while before that. No. And I think the 5-4 is so sort of, um, it's such a sort of results black hole. It's hard to think of anything other than that game. Because yeah. it was just so extraordinary, wasn't it? It was um, just League the, One in a nutshell for something that. It was just absolute madness from start to finish. It was chaos, weren't it? I was in Sweden at the time and my phone died a battery about three minutes before kickoff. I managed to find a burger bar and put the uh, put my charger in in Sweden, sat down and was like, right, oh, come on, 1-0, something like that, that'll do. And I turned it on, it was like 3-3. Three, three. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was at... I was at that game and it was you, I nearly had a heart attack. Just chaos. And I think every Sunderland fan will look back at that and go, oh God, that was the moment we went. This is just banter, isn't it? It's a banter season. Like <laughs> every goal was a mistake. Every time. Yeah, we... every, all nine goals we had got. <laughs> they were, uh, yeah, they're not, they weren't pretty. We just stopped. I think we scored. Teams. I think we scored one. I think we were scored one all right goal. I think maybe Jordan Shipley got one, but the, the, most of them were kind of. Clown shoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Kick yourself in like, the head, yeah. Like, every, everyone was a mistake. So, I'm not particularly confident going in against Coventry because I don't I don't really remember the last time we really beat you, to be honest. Maybe 2000 or something. I could be wrong with that. But, um, so, for the first time this season, I think, I'm going to predict, unfortunately, a defeat. Um, really? Yeah, I think it's a tough game. And I think, obviously, we're coming off the back of a really poor performance last night. And we're coming off the back of... Um, an annoying draw against Bristol City because of how late the goal was scored. But I do think uh, we've had a really good season. Um, I felt really positive. I'm going to continue to feel very positive, but I just think there'll be a point where we have a couple of sticky results and I have a horrible feeling that might be coming up. Pray to God, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm going to say 1-0 Coventry and it's going to be one of those really annoying games where we have a really good last 20 minutes and probably should equalise, but won't. Well, we've seen that a bit in the last in the last few games. The the main thing for us is that we've we seem to have we seem to be catching teams at the right time because um, Millwall were, are much better than than how they were when we played them, and Rotherham are, I know aren't great, but they they can't be that bad all the time, and they weren't against Jews. So we've picked up points against teams that have underperformed against us. The question I would ask for you is, what does your what does the spine of your team look like? Are your centre backs, your centre midfielders, solid enough. That's where that's where we'll come and stuck. Is if you can clog up that central area, if you can cut the supply out to Vic, and you can stop Hamer getting on the ball, then I don't think we've got much else. You fancy a win though? Are you feeling as underconfident? No, as no, I no, 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 not at all, not at all. I've I've stopped predicting cover results this season <laughs> because we, you've got it's just it's pointless. We've got absolutely no idea. We were the only team that beat West Brom for something like 15 games when Corbran took over. And then we've, you know, we, we've we got, got absolutely smashed by everyone at the start of the season. You, you never know. I, we, 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 all we've had is we've had one centre-back come back to fitness recently. And that seems to have been enough that's having us win games. But, I, but we haven't been playing terribly well. I just, I don't know what I don't, I can't really put my finger on it. So you could come to our place and just smash all over the place and I'd be like, okay, it's fine. I, I, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not surprised. Obviously it wouldn't be fine, but I wouldn't be surprised by it either. I think as well is what's it is, it's dangerous. I get the impression that you lot are very, very annoyed about the fact, quite rightly about the result last night, 
Mm-hmm. And I think the team probably are. And I think you might be well up for going and, and tearing into someone. And I think we might be sat there waiting for it. Well, I hope so. But I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my my one nil. But um, obviously, I think especially in this situation because of the the conversation that we had previously about that slight bit of needle. I think some of the fans will probably find it quite interesting, especially if we win, to listen to a Coventry podcast afterwards. And to be fair, I found that quite interesting. As the more goes on, I'll listen to the the preview show of whatever my get or the review show of whatever my guest has been. Um, so if we were to do that, where where can we find you, Joey? Where can we find the the, the Neil Lamptey podcast? All your, all your usual places. It's Neil Ampty Show. I think if you type in Coventry City Podcast, you'll be able to find us. There's probably better ones. There's a fan, there's a handful of Coventry Podcasts now. We're probably not even the best one. If you just put in Coventry City into one of your podcast apps, you'll find you'll either find us whinging about everything or you'll hear three or four that say, what a great performance from a great bunch of lads, no matter how we've done. But they're all about the same. Perfect. Joey, it's been a good laugh. I must be honest, I've enjoyed it. Um, but thanks very much for popping on and, and taking time out of your day because I know you've got a little one. Um, no, I know that's right, always busy, mate, but I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. Well, no, thank you for the invite. It's been a pleasure talking to you and I sort of oh, I wish you all the best for the season after Saturday. Oh, yeah, vice versa, of course. Uh, sentiments echoed. <laughs>